I'm Daniel Blackman. I'm Eric Cohen. And welcome to Blue Topsy on this amazing day at, may I add to our listening audience, Tree Sound Studios in Norcross, Georgia. Shout out to Molly Hunter and Ben and everybody in the Tree Sound family. Yeah, it's exciting being here. This is a special place, man. I mean, you come in and, you know, legends like Elton John have recorded here and Drake has recorded here and good people. And now you can add Blue Topsy to the list, man. We're, we're, we're making our strides and we're getting a little bit more relevant. We are. I like that you really made us sound big and important. I am trying, man. You, like you, you put you put us in that category. <laughs> Make it work. And and Georgia, uh, obviously, we're live from the seventh congressional district. There's a lot of news in the seventh congressional district. Exactly. We got a martyr vote coming up pretty soon. We have a a really crowded race coming up, which I'm excited that obviously from our last conversation, not only with Melissa and with Bianca, but we are entering into a time where the 7th District, uh, specifically Gwinnett and Forsyth County, are really becoming somewhat of a anchor of the state going into the 2020 election. So I'm really excited. You know, I want to tell you something. I, I had some funny feedback the other day. All right, what's the feedback? Person goes, Daniel says Forsyth. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, you always say Forsyth. And I go, yeah. I said, Daniel says it right. I said, I can't bring it to myself. They <laughs> apparently say it the right way. So well, I do know. It's criticism. I mean, I, I have a cool story real quick. I was at the Capitol the other day, uh -huh. ready to go at every Republican I cross on this heartbeat <laughs> bill, which is a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. But a uh, young lady walks up to me and says, are you Daniel Blackman? And I'm like, uh, yes, ma'am. She said, I recognize your voice. So, Eric, we're doing something mm -hmm. right. We have a real listening audience besides our families. <laughs> And folks are tuning in. So today we want to start off by talking about some things going on in the legislature. But then we want to invite our, our really uh, good guest, an amazing woman doing some phenomenal things, not only at the Capitol, but doing some really great work uh, in the 7th Congressional District as a whole. All right. So there are a lot of congressional, the congressional, my goodness, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hey, right? man, that's what happens when you start coming up in the world. Man. That's you right. Start putting things out there. There are a lot of bills at the Capitol and the majority of them are awful. Um, we're going to touch upon some of them. Uh, HB 426, which is the hate crimes bill, including sexual orientation. That that would be one of the good ones. That is the first time that in Georgia they're actually having sexual orientation listed as a, something to be covered, unlike the past. What really was curious to me earlier in the year was how we saw the beginning shaping up of how the legislators deal with sexual assault mm -hmm. and different areas. So I'm, I'm happy to see that, um, and this is kind of veering off a little bit, but to see the Me Too movement transform into state and local government, really seeing a change in the culture of how we treat women um, in these places. I know Amy Kobachor is yep. dealing with some things right now from the past, and she's been on the front line of this conversation, but I think everyone now is being called to task, and we're always happy to see good bills that are addressing issues to protect women and other vulnerable people that are in these areas. Now, the flip side of that, HB8, that would have waived taxes on feminine hygiene products. That didn't make it through crossover day, so that's something where the Me Too movement hasn't moved uh, the legislators enough. Now, we're, what we're going to go through today will be several bills. Well, I want to give you a little bit of a rundown, and our, our guests will be speaking about plenty of this. Yeah. Number one, HB 481, which I describe as the insane anti-abortion bill, um, which is your six-week fetal heartbeat bill. We'll get to that. HB 31 is the state budget and teachers' raises. Uh, we'll get over to that. HB 228 is an interesting little bill that I found, which raises our marriage age from 16 to 17 years old with uh, parental consent. What I thought was interesting about that, though, is 
Why is it 17? Shouldn't it be 18? Well, when I hear 16 and 17-year-old, I think differently. What I think is, why don't we lower the voting age to 16 or 17-year-olds? Because I think if we're going to make laws and provisions for them and we're talking about their being able to drive at 16, some yeah. being able to own firearms in many states earlier than that, then mm -hmm. why not allow them to go to the ballot? We've seen some phenomenal things from these young men and women that have been uh, doing the March for Our Lives. Right. And so I think we need to support this national discourse. I know Ayanna Presley out of Massachusetts, my home state, right. uh, has done some really good work in, in helping to add her voice to this conversation. So Georgia, if you're listening, Let's think about lowering that voting age. And you know, for most people don't realize that even though they don't realize it with you, we're both native New Englanders. That's right. I don't so. know how loud we should say that because we <laughs> might get run out of Forsyth County by doing that. But today, <laughs> while we're bringing up these issues, yes. why don't we go ahead and let our guests say That's hello? Right. Because there's some issues that we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue in, but her voice adds a lot of value and a lot of relevance to this conversation. Eric, why don't you do the honor? We're represent Representative Brenda Lopez is back on the show. Sec well, time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be able to um, connect with everyone that's listening. And no, it's not it's not just our friends and family. You know, I've had uh, people reach out to me from the first time that I that I came on the, um, the program. So thanks um, thanks again for having me, and um, look forward to discussing a lot of those bills um, and to provide some sort of the the behind the scenes of what's happened with some of the bills that didn't didn't move. Okay. Let's jump in first. Why don't we start with Marta? That's exactly because I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that's bothering me about Marta is I am I'm an optimist, right? So I immediately was concerned, frustrated, pissed off when <laughs> Marta was not on the November ballot. Right. So now that we're seeing it go into March, and we're seeing in my opinion, a lot of movement, a lot of excitement, but is that excitement and movement translating on the ground? That's one of the things I wanted to ask you, Brenda, if you could just open up and kind of give us an idea of the tone of, of where that is right now and how you feel about it. Well, um, it's great that you're mentioning that. This is the last week until Friday of early voting that we have um, seven, eight satellite locations where Wenatians can come out and vote. I actually voted today. They're open from 7 to 7, and we're one week away from Election Day, which is Tuesday, March 19th. Wow. And so turnout for special elections is always low. Mm -hmm. And um, and this, unfortunately, um, issue a special election has been has not been different um so i am concerned that we haven't had um the the younger um voters come out yet you, there had been a couple of push from different organizations so, such as sierra club um that were pushing young voters and we haven't seen that in the demographic background um of the, those that have already cast their votes in early voting now for special elections you tend to see um, the more of the majority of the people that come out and vote to vote on election day. So there's, you know, we have mm -hmm. to take a look at that. Um, but I say I'll share with the concerns that, that you have, Daniel, about this being in March. Um, unfortunately, um, sh um, Charlotte Nash made, uh, I think, um, uh, a bad choice to push this out to in order to potentially, for political reasons, right. um, to safeguard um, commissioners, which at the end of the day nonetheless lost their seats. And for those who don't know who she is, why don't you give a quick backdrop? So Charlotte Nash is the uh, chairperson of the Winnet County Commission, and so she basically has said more or less, um, uh, when the media has said uh, that 
there was sort of a negotiated situation where because the commissioners would vote for the referendum being on the ballot so long as it was pushed out not in the November election. Otherwise, the discussion right now would be, you know, how are we going to see this investment in MARTA? There would have been no question that MARTA would have passed. And so we really need to make sure that we get out. I tell folks it is so important to go and make sure that you talk to your coworkers, talk to your friends, to your family, and take them to the polls. It's going to matter in, in low turnout elections that mm-hmm. um, it, it, it gets outweighed the more people vote. Um, that individual vote counts so much more. And I want people that's listening to understand why transportation matters. Uh, you know, income inequality has plagued uh, Metro Atlanta. Uh, if you want to talk about, Eric, some ways that we get people out of poverty, in my opinion, mm-hmm. whether it's in rural areas or urban areas, people having access to transit is extremely critical. Not only does that help on the poverty question, but in my opinion, when you look at Martyr for cleaner cities, you know, That's my right. background as an environmentalist, mm-hmm. someone that promotes, you know, solar panels, uh, electric vehicles That's like right. you and your family are doing. So I think the idea that uh, Marta is even being debatable right now is a direct correlation to the lack of education that people have in the community. And there are many studies, and we talked about it with Bianca last week. Crime goes down when mass transit comes to areas, contrary to to what's said, because basically the racist stuff is you bring MARTA, you bring mass transit, you bring crime. Black people, brown people, I mean, those stereotypical ideas and i let, let me just first say just from a satirical standpoint i've never seen someone with a 50 inch tv on marta nor <laughs> have i seen somebody with some furniture on the back of their car going into a marta station and trying to load it onto a train so this idea that folks are going to come up to break into their homes to jump back on the train i mean the things that you hear out there and, and, and I granted, I, I don't want to belittle anyone, but these fears and these ideologies and perceptions that are rooted in racist and, and, mm-hmm. and bigotry, b- bigoted um, ideologies, it's really heartbreaking because, you know, while you and I live in Forsyth County, uh, the reality is Gwinnett is becoming an epicenter of a lot of the Metro Atlanta's uh, of, of Metro Atlanta's growth. Absolutely. And without that kind of transit I think we're we're in a bad position. So, Brenda, I would hope that as we continue to go towards the 19th, but even beyond it, you know, we can see some of the great things that can come out of it. You know, we spoke to Bianca about uh, uh, Gwinnett being a, a battleground uh, area for battleground as far as the state of Georgia is concerned. Can you talk to us about the impact MARTA will have if we are so fortunate to have this pass on March 19th and, and how much of an issue presidential candidates that are going to be coming in and, and anyone that wants to campaign through Gwinnett, how important is it for the things that are happening over the next year for the state of Georgia as it relates to Gwinnett? Well, absolutely. We have to um, get MARTA, get transit mobility into our county. That's just not not a question. It's not it's not a debate. And I'll and I'll add two things. One one of the reasons that folks ha- um, have opposition to MARTA is quite frankly bottom line, like you said, prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, racial animus and that's where you get all this weird misinformation and and quite frankly you know um incorrect information about crime and such you know and then there is the other camp that simply um is 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 simply adverse to the tax increase but 
what I want to say for those that actually have that legitimate, or what I, I think is a legitimate concern, whether it is a good thing to to um, be tax, have a sales tax of the one penny um, increase. And so I want to clarify that we have a very unique and very Winnet-centric contract that was negotiated with MARTA. If we are worried about where our money is going and if it's going to be responsibly managed, um, the answer is yes. In fact, all the money raised by the penny tax in Winnet County will actually go to Winnet County's commission. And so it's not going to go into the general funds of MARTA. So for those that are concerned that our, our, our taxpayer right. money is going to go somewhere to Fulton or, De mm -hmm. or, or DeKalb and that we're not going to have a say in what's built with the money that we're being taxed. That is not the case for us in Winnet. And that is a very unique position that was negotiated. The other thing that I want to add with that is that all the plans that we've seen in terms of where development of both heavy rail in, in the very um, more um, future, um, light rail, where the bus routes are going to be, where, where the um, um, BRTs are going to be, all of that plan that um, the different town halls that, that have been held primarily by the commission, um, the commissioners, all of those ideas come from one, the county commission and the transportation and development departments that they have and a lot of outreach that they did talking to surveying voters um, and residents of Winnet to determine you know, where the needs were. So all of the projects and plans have been ran and are Winnet centric. This is not MARTA deciding where they want services for us. Mm -hmm. This is us telling MARTA basically, it's like basically hiring a, a consultant and saying these are our needs, these are our plans, these are our projects can you come operate them and so um, I really wanted to give that emphasis so go, going back to um, your initial question about why it's necessary the reality is that in the next um, 20 to 40 years we're gonna have almost half a million um, po population increase in the county alone wow. mm. and there is no way that we can continue we cannot build roads enough for right. that yeah we just can't, can't sustain That's that growth without the right transportation and the reason that we can't sustain the growth, besides just being stuck in, in forever traffic, um, that aside, even if you're saying that you were willing to do, be, do that, we cannot have the economic development and right. the businesses in our county to sustain the, um, mm -hmm. um, that population without transit being an option in our county. Businesses have said that over and over again. We have had already some businesses that have relocated um, to two areas around um, Midtown, Dunwoody, and um, so so we absolutely need it simply for not just our population growth, but we need it for economic development. And this is the one issue where you now have the Winnet Chamber, you have you know former Governor That's Deal, right. you have the a vast number of. Um, quite frankly, Republicans that have said that they are on board um, and, and they support MARTA referendum. So this is, is a non-issue if you're concerned about economics, if you're concerned about this being a Winnet-centric project, and if you're concerned about keeping and using your tax, um, tax dollars for our county solely, if those are your concerns, then you should be voting for, for MARTA. One thing I also wanted to bring up, uh, since the last time you were on our show, uh, Elizabeth Warren stopped in the Gwinnett and passed through. And uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict, Eric, mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, she's not going to be the only presidential candidate no. that's going to be stopping in Georgia or in Gwinnett especially. Mm -hmm. 
how important uh, in a minute or so, just share with us how important was it for her to stop in Gwinnett and how important is it for the other candidates that are seeing Georgia as a battleground state to consider counties like Gwinnett? Well, um, absolutely. What, what can I say? And I think we're probably there already. But once we get the census and it becomes official, I will probably venture to say that Gwinnett's going to be the um, the most populous county in our state. Hmm. Um, our, our county compromises probably about 20 to 25 counties together of most most other areas in terms of population. So absolutely, it's vital um, that any presidential candidate does go through through Gwinnett County. Um, because, you know, we are the bellwether of both what the state um, looks like now, where the state is um, economically, and when we talk about, you know, innovation and, and having, um, having a well-budgeted county, uh, Winnet County is that model. Wow. You know, when we talk about a lot of things that we talk about on the show have been about how the Democratic Party doesn't reach out to enough places in the state. What's exciting about the growth in Gwinnett is it's pushing that conversation outside of the perimeter. So when we're saying all these presidential candidates might be coming and all this attention is being paid to Gwinnett, it's exciting because you're starting to see a different perspective. It's not people entrenched in the city. It's real working people, a whole hodgepodge of people. Absolutely. And, and that being said, I mean, I do want to make clear that it's really important that um, uh, as, well, we're speaking specifically about presidential elections. Absolutely, that does not mean one is at the exclusion of other, and that's that's right. that's important, right? That to say that why it's important in Winnet County because of its population, because um, how it mimics our state. That's true, but that doesn't mean you also won't and can't outreach outside, not right. just Metro Atlanta, but definitely outside of Metro Atlanta. That's a focal point that we always have to keep in mind as well. One is not at the exclusion of other. And one of the things, speaking of what, during legislative session, right, we, we last session passed something that um, which is called now the ATL board, which is supposed to be uh, basically a board that tries to integrate the different um, regional, metro regional transit systems mm -hmm. that currently exist and that could exist into the future so that we we can have, even if they are multi-region authorities, um, that it can, for the user, uh, us that would use the transportation, can be seamless, right? Like we see this happen in Seattle, we see this happening in D.C. and different other areas that have, have an extensive transit system. Um, but this legislative session on the House side, we've passed um, a measure that basically creates uh, something similar for outside of Metro Atlanta that creates nine regional um, areas, which each region outside of Metro Atlanta um, would similarly t take a look at what projects are needed in those areas because the needs um, and both um, the available infrastructure uh, and resources are different outside right. of Metro Atlanta. So this issue about transportation, transit, mobility, uh, again, has nothing to do with um, the fact that we happen to be situated close to the city of Atlanta, it has to do with our the viability of the economic development of our of our of our counties, of our regions, and obviously of our state. And everyone at the at the, on the house side at least has recognized that in the general assembly. Um, I want to go back to something you said, j just just to add a detail. Companies leaving the suburbs and going to the city, which is the opposite of what most people assumed. NCR is a perfect example of it. NCR was in the suburbs, and they said, you know what? The transit situation is horrible, and that you know they have a nice, you know, high rise right in the core of downtown, and a lot of people, they actually didn't stick with going, moving along to the new facility because they're like my commute from wherever I am 
to NCR and downtown. It's just not going to work. So the point of the matter is the transit is unbelievably necessary. Um, I wanted to ask you something. This relates to MARTA. We want to go back to the negative side of things, the, the comments that are out there, and then we're going to move along to what's going on under the dome. So Bianca put up a post. For everybody who doesn't know, Bianca Keaton is the chair of the Gwinnett Democrats, and she was on our show last week. She's been pushing out texts for MARTA, and she received all types of responses. And I just want to share a few of them and wanted to see if, if you've heard any of these type of ridiculous type of things. So here's some of the responses to her. Tired of dealing with Afrocentric people's bad habits, disrespect, nastiness, etc. Why in the world would you want to bring more N-word folks and drugs to Gwinnett? I'm okay with moving Africans rapidly through Atlanta, but when we move these Africans into Gwinnett, where there are high numbers of both Mexicans and Asians, blank is going to get real. These are real responses that she had to her sending out texts about it. Right, and we are, you know, we kind of talked about it a bit earlier that really, again, I like I said, on, on the tax issue, I have legitimate, I think it's a legitimate concern, right. and, it, and I have legitimately good responses about why that should not be a concern. But right. quite frankly, we have the, the, the other side of, and I have in fact heard plenty of these um, um, insinuations or outright comments, um, and that is what we're talking about. It really is, bottom line, the uh, racial uh, prejudice and bias that still exists. You know, I've heard also the switch code you know pc versions right. of saying the same thing when people say you know well, i don't want my community to change or you know i came here um so that i wouldn't have to deal with the issues of downtown atlanta i mean those comments really allude to really right. the same thing right the the, the 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 problem of like um there's these others that are not welcome or i do not want to welcome them in my neighborhood much less to be my neighbors and so you go from something that's said maybe in that context that doesn't sound as, as, as negative to mm -hmm. folks that are actually showing the, the true colors of what right. those comments really mean. And, and unfortunately, that's all that is. And all I can say that, uh, you know, if people have these um, prejudices and biases, you know, a lot of continual conversation is necessary. But for purposes right now of MARTA, the only way that we can combat those is by coming out right. and voting. And, I, and I'll also say, though, I mean, I, you know, I think in the U.S., we have become so tone deaf, Eric, because, yeah. you know, when you look at identity politics and you look at these kind of sentiments that are made, you know, we, we live in the South um, and we do realize that there are certain barriers going back and before Jim Crow era laws that have kind of like perpetuate, perpetuated the culture that we're seeing. But I can honestly say that one, um, you know, I know that's not the sentiment of all, you know, I think right. a handful of very ignorant people are, are, are making some really even more ignorant conversations. And, and before we get into these bills that I want to run through, I think one thing we need to all understand is whether we're talking about race and justice or transportation or, you know, uh, women's rights. Th there is a huge education curve in That's the United right. States. We have failed uh, to teach civics mm -hmm. at, at the level where our children can have a foundation on it. And then when they get into high school, we're so focused on standardized, standardized mm -hmm. testing that we're missing the cultural aspect. Then they get into college and, and we're so career 
oriented and focused that when do we have time outside the dinner table if they're not fortunate to have an Eric Cohen or a Daniel Blackman <laughs> as their parent. <laughs> but no, on a serious note, I think it's 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 very unfortunate that we're seeing, you know, ignorance inherited. And what's right. happening is it's being passed from generation to generation. And those few bad apples are getting the loudest platforms. Right. So if you live in Gwinnett County, uh, please listen to our friend Brenda Lopez. Uh, what she's saying is critical. If you believe in Gwinnett, uh, regardless of your uh, uh, concerns or whatever the case may be, if you believe in, in the whole and the entirety of Gwinnett being prosperous and being some a, a county that can compete with other mm -hmm. counties around the U.S., uh, including counties in San Francisco and New York and, you know, uh, Charlotte. I mean, if you if you want to deal with if you want to compete at that level with cities that are doing really great work, then I would ask you all to really consider what would you like Gwinnett to look like nationally and even globally in the next 10, 15 years? What kind of Gwinnett do you want? And if that's a prosperous, economically viable, uh, competitive, globally competitive uh, Gwinnett, then I think you really need to pay attention and vote yes on Gwinnett County. So we're going to move on from that. That's right. And we're going to get to under the gold dome, an area that Brenda is, we're going to say is our, our blue topsy expert That's on, right. especially for today. So where, what are we looking like? Okay. So we, we kind of laid it out in a little bit to begin with, but let, let's start with 481. House Bill 481, uh, we're getting national coverage. And just like always, when we get national coverage here, it tends to always be bad coverage. So can you explain to everybody what is House Bill 481? So I describe um, HB 481 as a bill that's against a, a woman's self-determination. Mm -hmm. That's at the root of the bill. Um, and through the means of basically eliminating safe abortions. Right. And I point that out. This is not an uh, anti-abortion or, or abortion ban. This is anti-safe abortions because prior to abortions being legalized abortions were, were being performed and if we ever get to the point whether it's at a state level or otherwise that abortions would um, be made illegal again we're still going to continue having abortions but what we would continue to see is then doing it in a way that's unsafe for women mm -hmm. and that actually puts the risk of um, that woman's life and so you know it, it was um, it was um, passed on out of the house side on crossover day. It was a long day, and it was um, it, it took a um, a it, it was basically very very uh, trying for for most of us there, both the legis the legislators and and those that were there um, from from the public that were watching in the gallery. Um, it barely squeaked by. Okay. Um, you require ninety one votes to pass a bill out of the um, out of the House floor, and it passed with ninety three votes, with two Republican males um, simply not voting. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where they were, but they just no vote was cast. Um, and with nine um, legislators that excused themselves, uh, they even, some of them went home because I saw them earlier, and some <laughs> just didn't show up for the day. Um, you know, I, why they excused themselves, maybe they were really sick or maybe they just <laughs> chose not to vote. That you have to ask them individually. Uh -huh. um, and we did have two uh, Republicans, a woman and, and, and a male uh, Republican um, vote no against it. And we did have one um, Democrat vote for it. So, you know, it's um, it's very telling where you and I haven't I, I haven't, you know, actually calculated numbers, but just from knowing the, the body composition that you had about a probably 90 percent of the um, 
people that voted for the bill were males. Okay. Um, it, I think it's it's very telling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's on the Senate side. Thursday at 3 p.m., the Science and Technology Committee will be hearing the bill on the Senate side. So um, we are asking people to come out on Thursday the 14th at 3 p.m. But actually, I tell folks to come every day that there's legislative session because we don't know when things are going right. to move. And I, ha- now I, 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 I want to say this real quick because as a man, I agree with every single thing you said. I think we have uh, really crossed the boundaries in the country. Mm-hmm. But just just as for a satirical moment, but also a very serious um, thing to point out is Darshan Kendrick, mm-hmm. who had her testicular bill of rights. And I'm, I'm just throwing this out there because when I saw it, you know, for some people, they laugh and see it jokingly. But when you see the irony in people right. not wanting to legislate a man's body or what a That's man right. does, then it, it's, it's, it's seen as political satire. But some of the things she brought up, which I thought were worth stating, was require men to, abstain, to obtain permission from their sex partner before they're able to, <laughs> to, to attain a prescription for Viagra or any other erectile dysfunction. I mean, like things like that, that people want to laugh at, but imagine if the tables were turned Mm -hmm. on men. And for me, you know, my family, my wife and I, you know, we have our values. We share Mm -hmm. our beliefs. We have three beautiful children that we, we could not see, you know, not having our three children. But in that same respect, it was a choice that we made for our family for our lives and for her body. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you for highlighting critical. that, Daniel, because that's one of the things that I talk to folks about and um, and and that I always highlight. The the protection, again, and that's why for me this is an issue about an anti-wom- uh, anti-woman self-determination mm-hmm. because as much as I personally um, would support anyone's decision to terminate a pregnancy for whatever reasons, and, and quite often than not, most of the time it is for medical it's reasons, medical. Yeah. Um, and that is the vast majority of reasons why why it's unnecessary, and that's why this is also against um, legitimate medical treatment. Um, but same on the same token, we have many women that choose um, to carry pregnancies because they choose to carry pregnancies that they wanted, and sometimes they do so even when their lives are at risk, even when that's there right. are complications mm-hmm. in the pregnancy, and nonetheless they choose to still carry um, their pregnancy pregnancy and we have to respect and honor those women as well and that is the difference with the position that we take when we are um, against measures that limit the ability to uh, of women and families to make those choices that's critical and I, I I really do suggest you guys to Google to stickler Bill of Rights yes. uh, from Darshan Kendrick because I mean let's really be honest if we have this conversation and some of the things that she listed were uh, were required I think a lot more men would be more reluctant to make decisions on other people and I really quickly Beth Moore um, gave an impassioned speech um, if you if you if you haven't heard Beth's uh, if you go on to the uh, georgiahouse.ga.gov Google Beth Moore uh, get her comments I think she laid out a case ac- uh, across uh, partisan lines. Mm-hmm. She made a very strong case for why this is important and the dangers of this kind of bill passing and the repercussions it can have in the future and and, and how we're opening up the door for some really crazy stuff to happen in our country. Well, Deborah um, um, Silcox, that um, was one, the, the one Republican woman that, um, that casted a vote, um, that voted against it, you know, she also went up there, um, went up to the well and um, 
and I, I I have to thank her and appreciate the fact of um, in summary what she said was that um, you know she she's a Christian she, she herself is pro-life she herself wasn't even sure she could have um, buried children because she had had chemo um, when she was um, a teenager but that she was there to legislate for her constituents um, and I appreciate someone that recognizes that they're not there to legislate their own religion right. and their own morals onto others. That's right. And, um, and you know, and, and she, um, it was uh, seemed very heartfelt um, from, from her. We're happy to hear that. There, was, uh, there were anonymous quotes that the AJC had on Twitter, basically some representative saying, I don't know if I can show my face back in my district. And these are rural parts of the state. I want to go back to this for a moment, just so the audience understands. Can you define what crossover day is for people? Well, crossover technically is the day, um, this last Thursday was crossover, that bills from one chamber have to pass from their f- respective floors from um, to be able to be heard in the other chamber. Um, mm-hmm. And I say generally and technically because we do have things that we call undead bills and zombie bills. Mm-hmm. So there is potential that even if a, a bill didn't cross over to the other chamber, sometimes they're attached as amendments okay. or during conference committees they get, you know, convoluted in other bills but generally if a bill wasn't heard by by crossover day generally it's not going to move forward that being said um i am really concerned about what's going to happen next legislative session for these bills that did not cross over because in a biannual or two terms that we have when when a bill is introduced on in one year for next year those bills will continue wherever they got left off at the end so then there was a second um, anti-abortion bill which uh, that one as if i'm correct basically said if roe versus wade is overturned then the state would automatically outlaw uh, abortion yes that was the governor's um trigger bill and um i well not that i have too many well words for a lot of these things that I do and don't understand at the same time but the, but yes um that wasn't that wasn't pushed forward even though that was the governor's bill mm-hmm. um I tell folks you know I I I do an analogy to this imagine if we were hoping whomever that we is I'm, I'm saying we but not personally but that we were hoping that um that the supreme court overruled uh the thir- the 13th amendment Mm-hmm. Right. And and that and this and then we would do a trigger where then automatically we would reinstate slavery here in the state of Georgia. It, it's, it's you're essentially saying the same thing. You are hoping that the right. Supreme Court overrules constitutional protections. And if they do, then w- we are going to go right along and actually in, in, in enact those measures. You as an attorney, Roe versus Wade is considered settled law. Am I not correct? Well, that is true. Um, you know, we and we've had, and especially as it relates specifically to this um, heart heartbeat um, measure, um, we have had other courts, so other circuits courts, basically have already ruled on constitutional um, similar bills. And this bill, if it were to get out of Senate, will be litigated, and we're uh, we're very comfortable that at the at the circuit court right. level um, that it will be ruled unconstitutional. But the fact that even we even have to go and think about that strategy right. is a problem. Now, 
here's the other thing of why, you know, the Supreme Court and the fights that we've been having about what sort of Supreme Court justices are nominated and appointed, um, because even though it is settled settled into in law, um, but obviously we have seen, you know, we always talk about Roe because that was the um, seminal case that uh, legalized safe abortions, mm -hmm. right? Um but the reality is that we've had cases since then that have provided basically some ability for states to regulate to a right. certain extent. Um, and so the question is, does bills like this that essentially would end an ability to have an abortion? Because if, if by week six where a heartbeat might be able to be detected um, – you know, most women do not know they're pregnant right. within a month right. or two. And so that essentially would ban outright. And mm -hmm. so that definitely goes completely against the viability test that has been established for any regulations that the state might do. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but as the law stands right now, yes, this bill is unconstitutional. But unfortunately, as you mentioned, when you started off, Georgia is usually in national news and it's usually <laughs> not for good things. And unfortunately, it's, this is not the first time we have passed legislation that is unconstitutional and, ha and gets ruled that way in the federal courts. It seems like at the end of the day, economic development is what Republicans always speak about. But if you look at bills, the anti-choice, outright bans of abortion, things with transportation, it seems like that's a way to drive away the film and television industry, all these new companies that want to come here. Hey, let's relocate our headquarters from wherever else in the country. It just doesn't seem to be providing a good message to those right. folks. Well, I'll tell you, um, I'll, I'll, you know, sort of the background of what was said. We had that um, week off during the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any 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 legislative days, and um, we heard that the um, Republican caucus was told um, that during that week they should not file any legislation. Why? Because the Super Bowl here was here, and so was the media, the national media, right. and we should not embarrass our state during that time. <laughs> and here we are. Wow. So now we're just getting embarrassed a couple weeks later. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. I want to actually talk about something that I, I saw you at the Capitol. And these voting machines, um, these voting machines are very critical. What we could do with, I believe, 30 million Republicans have requested 150 million. Uh, I, I think that not only is the uh, machine manufacturer um, very questionable, we've seen that over their past. Can you talk to us about how important it is for us in this time to not miss the importance of these voting machines and all the things going on with the abortion and with all the things Eric has been talking about. But we saw what happened with Sarah Miko's race. We saw what happened with Stacey Abrams. A lot of people think Democrats were just sitting back bickering and were complaining. But the reality is our voting process has been very questionable. Can you talk to us about these machines, the importance of it, and what you're doing? Absolutely. So that's House Bill 316 and something that um, did pass along party lines um, from, from the House floor that is now moving on to the Senate. And another reason why I say we have to be there every day that we can, um, because there are so many different measures that we have to make sure that we voice um, opposition primarily and, you know, a few of them support um, and, and this voting machine bills is one of them. So, so here is sort of the, the simplest breakdown of, of, of how the how the machines that the, the voting machines bills that we have the reality is that how it's written it literally will even though it's supposed to go into a um, um, 
procurement process, the reality is that there's only going to be but one company, the current right. company that already sold mm -hmm. our Diebold machines that will be actually will be able to get this contract as well. And the problem with the current the current bill isn't just solely that that we're going to continue to using um, machines to to mark your 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 ballot instead of what has been asked, which was hand marked paper ballots. Right. Um, the the difference is that there is a there there would be where you would go basically on a tablet you'd mark your your candidate selections and you would get a printout of those selections but there first of all there was lots of amendments introduced to determine what that printout would look like whether it would you know making sure that, for example that there wouldn't be abbreviations right because if there's abbreviations do you, are you going to remember or not what those mean right. or do you know what they stand for and one of the key things was that there would not be barcodes because even if it was barcode only or or ABC, you know, if I voted for ABCD, but then also had a barcode, the tabulation m machine is going to read the barcode, not right. ABCD. <laughs> and so how do I know that even though it says ABCD on the left side, that the barcode also says ABCD? So that is one of the concerns in terms of even though it would print out something for you, the how do you verify its human source, right? right? So that is one of the concerns and an amendment that failed both in the committee that heard the bill and also in the rules committee before it passed to the floor um, where it, it was easy, right? If that's not what you're going to do, very easy. Let's make sure by putting it into law that we would not have barcodes or anything that's not human readable, right. but uh, um, along Republican, uh, re well, uh, part of party lines that that bill failed um, for with Republicans voting against it. And so that's one of the concerns in terms of even though you do literally might have a paper um, printout, um, that is not still um, – we're not – sure that it would be human readable the other part is on the audit side um being able to audit so if you're only auditing using that barcode again how do you know right. if it's not human countable it's not human readable it's not human countable and all you're going to go back is going back through the barcodes on top of the fact that there is no process and procedures that were established um with what audit systems would be required. Um, and actually on the SAFE Commission, the only cybersecurity um, officer, uh, I'm sorry, cybersecurity um, person or expert that was on the on, on the commission actually was voted against it and has been had many concerns. He's with the Georgia Tech um, Information Security Center. And he had concerns with the audibility of this right. the, these voting machines. And we've have had now several cybersecurity experts outside of him go back and, and discuss the issues of it being audible. Obviously, and then there's also just the general issues about general cybersecurity in terms of the machines and the data once it's transmitted being, right. being hackable, right? So there's a lot of concerns of a bill that simply got pushed through. Um, to the cost of $150 million, but that cost, and here's one thing. First of all, $150 million is in debt. We are taking out bonds. bonds. This is not something that was... Blooded. I need our fiscal conservative brothers and sisters to hear what you're yep. saying right now. Yes, so we are going to take out debt um, to pay for these machines, which that debt would probably be paid off within 20 years. Well, these machines and the technology are going to be obsolete in five and most definitely 10 years from now. So right. we're going to be paying for machines that are no longer um, 
technologically sound. Um, and, and not only that, but that is just for the cost of purchasing the machines. Right. That does not include, so that's the minimum we're mm -hmm. going to spend. That does not include issues of training. That does not include maintenance and storage. Mm -hmm. That does not include transportation. And you know what that also doesn't include? Any of the fees for or um, for like licensing the licensing, the but 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 security as well. Right. A security audits if you want audits in the system. If you want upgrades in mm -hmm. software, anyone that uses any sort of electronic device knows that there's update software updates probably every six months. And I, we're gonna ha we might have to pay for those things. If I'm a cynic, this is what I'm thinking. There's, there's one of two things. Either you want to control the voting process with a bizarre kind of system that you could hack or change the result, or you're in bed with a certain organization and they're, they're people that are manufacturing those through these machines and you're like, well, we might be financially conservative, but we want to help out our friends. Because it just there doesn't seem to be any space in between. It seems to be, there doesn't seem to be any other answer. Everybody, we're what? We're only one of five states right now that has these ridiculous machines. Georgia's I, always kind of like in that top tier of states with weird things going on. <laughs> Not good yeah, things. Well, you know, and I will tell you, um, I can't, you know, I can't speak to any outright intentional right. desire to, to commit fraud through 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 manipulating the data. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't speak to that. And, and I don't know that, you know, I think that that would be the intention of a individual person, sure. right? Not the rationale sure. for, for this bill. But to the second part that you said, that is honestly, that is not conjecture. That is mm -hmm. facts. That you have the same person that lobbied for... Um, it, EES, which is yep. the, the company that, again, that, that mm -hmm. provided our machines the first time around, they're likely going to provide these machines the second time around, um, that is that is now chief of staff for, for the governor. Right. And, and, and actually, it's, there was this great article on the New Yorker precisely about this being basically a voting machine lobby bill. Right. And, and it goes through all the specifics about all the people that are the same people that are both now in the governor's administration or the secretary of state's administration that have been former lobbies and or worked with um, the corporations that build these machines. Again, even if we say, even if for argument's sake, we say, you know what, let's embrace technology, let's use, you know, let's use machines to do our, our market, val uh, market value, and obviously for tabulations, even if we wanted to do that, if we also passed amendments that that did not pass, but had been agreed to write in these protections, right? Mm -hmm. To write in the protections of making sure it was human readable, human verifiable, to add in protections that ensured that we had a reliable audit, to ensure that we required the companies to maintain the the, the cybersecurity standards on 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 issues that relate to to potential hackings and that consistent upgrades. If we legislated that into law, then I could see that this was a good faith effort to simply right. use technology to its best of its capacity. But when we don't do that, then something else is at play. It sounds like a cash grab, helping out your friends. Um, I, I want to say that when you tell people to come to the Capitol, if anybody has met you in person and, and you speak to folks, that is something that you reiterate all the time. Can you explain to the audience, let's say you just want to come down to the Capitol and you want to speak to somebody and they are on the floor. Can you talk about the process of how somebody can get a message to hopefully be heard by their representative during a session day? 
Absolutely. So, so the Capitol is open to the public, um, which some folks think that for some reason <laughs> it's not. So that means that all you, you do have to present when, when you go through security um, some sort of um, state ID. Uh, and so if you have an identification, and for, for folks under 18 years old and their students, they can present their student ID as well. Okay. And so, um, and then you come in, and basically outside the House and the Senate chambers, there's literally ropes, and that's why we say go into the ropes. And you ask um, the, 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 the ladies there um, to send out, send a message to the floor. When we are in session, we're, when we're, mm-hmm. we're meeting on the floor, and they'll send a message and ask us to come out to, to the ropes to talk to, to folks. It's just a simple is that the other thing that you can do for comfort purposes is you can simply go um, down to the Capitol and on the fourth floor there's this area that we call the gallery which is basically an overlook mm-hmm. to the actual floor chambers and um, and you can just sit in and watch what happens and you'll see that the morning usually is this um, you know, it's, it's a production, <laughs> so it's just a lot of, you know, well-wishing to different um, organizations of our constituents, and, um, but later on, um, we go into what we call the rules calendar, which is when we actually vote on or debate um, issues that have gotten past committee, past the rules committee mm-hmm. to, to the um, House and Senate floor, and so it's important for people to go even just simply stand around. If you, on the third floor, you will see, and you'll see similar faces, your faces, <laughs> both Eric and Daniel, <laughs> but we also see a lot of similar lobby mainly from corporate interest and Mm -hmm. rarely do we see privates as not rarely but not as many private citizens lobbying on behalf of themselves and that's why it's so important to simply just go even if you don't talk to your legislator that first time to go and sit there and and get a feel Um, but if you definitely have a position for against a bill to make sure you call your legislator out and that is the time you know you can email us and you can call us we may or may not read the email sometimes we get inundated and I'm Mm -hmm. like two or three days behind on my email but but when we're on the floor you will know whether the legislator at least took the time to come out and speak to you face to face and more often than not they will i want to ask one one thing we we've i feel like there's a lot of negative things here a lot of negative things that that we've said you know thing we're basically as you said the first time you're on the show basically we're having to play defense we're trying to stop the worst things from happening What's some legislation that you've seen that's come through that's been very positive? Well, one of, in terms of major legislation, was definitely um, out of the House floor. Um, the hate crimes bill passed out, and so now it's on the Senate side, and it's something that we need to go um, lobby there for. And so um, I am less happy that it, it um, also took a, a lot of political maneuvering for it to actually pass out. Right. Um, it did only pass with 96 votes. So it is really important that we vote, um, voice our support for this bill on the Senate side because the Senate is considered slightly more um, conservative than even the House. So um, that is something that we definitely need folks to come out and, and, and lobby for. Um, and basically, I think you mentioned it earlier, right? It, it actually, you know, it, it mimics the federal hate crimes right. bill where um, it includes um, something that we don't have in any other statute um, in our state that includes um, sexual orientation as a protected class. And so um, that is one, one of the good bills. The other thing that we always talk about sort of what's in the news and these big, larger legislations, but there's a lot of small, smaller, I don't know if it's the right word, but there are other legislation that is not um, 
attract as much attention that I think is equally important because it affects our day to days and especially I'm on the education committee and a lot of bills that um, get passed um, that are good bills um, you know speaking about good bills mm -hmm. out, out of um, out of education committee and you know and some that we need the input from teachers that we need input from parents to know that you know how is this because just like as, as you mentioned as an attorney sometimes I see legislation and I'm like you know it seems okay on paper or right. it seems neutral on paper <laughs> but in practice i know how this is actually right. going to work out and so same thing right on paper some of these education policies might seem okay but how is that in practice actually implemented mm -hmm. and that's why we need to hear from folks and so i think that's why it's important to go there every day because even though they're not bills that are in the media um they're bills that are, are significant to our lives and i think there's no greater example um maybe i'm saying this because i'm a, a democrat but Donald Trump and, and Brian Kemp, you know, when I think of them, I think that there is a huge difference in campaigning and governing. And a lot mm -hmm. of times people are excited, whether it's, you know, a Republican or a Democrat, they get excited about all these promises and things that are made. But to your point, Brenda, when it gets time to read and understand how these things impact your life, some things might have gotten you sweating at the rally, might have got you excited. Uh -huh. But when it comes time to really implementing some of these ideas, you have to look at all the impact that it will have and, and how it will touch so many other areas. So before we're, we're in our last 20 minute stretch, 15 minute stretch, um, I want to talk about the 7th Congressional District because that's where we live. And I know that we touched on it earlier, but I am very, very interested in, in, in how a lot is going to unfold here in our county. And I think it's important for us to understand uh, one, Lucy McBath did a phenomenal job. Uh, we mentioned this on our show on more than one occasion. Uh, we're seeing people like uh, that, that are that are in the sixth congressional district are in areas like Cobb that did a phenomenal job. People like Michael Owens who have done some really good work out there, and you know we're seeing how Cobb has changed, and we see what Melissa Clink is doing in Forsyth County. So all of these great things are happening around us, and we're kind of sandwiched in between yeah. some of this good work. And and I wanted to to you, Brenda. How important is it with Rob Woodall um, announcing that he's going to step down? We're going to now see an open seat in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, many names have come up. Your name has come up. We're excited about hearing about, you know, good people that will be out there. I know you haven't made a decision, but I think it's going to be very important for us to understand the importance of the 7th Congressional District. Can you share with our audience why this race in 2020 will be so critical and so important to Georgia politics? Well, absolutely. Well, just um, to start off with, um, yes, I, I'm definitely doing a strong consideration of, of, of running for the seventh. Um, but right now, as, as we finish talking, there's a lot of things going on. at Yeah, the I'm so, smiling right now. That's, that's good news. So that, um, you know, after session, that's when, you know, any final decisions are going to come. But I am considering and I, I am actually very honored of so many folks that have reached out and kind of encouraged uh encouraged the idea of me running for the seventh and um i'm gonna make sure i call each and every one of them you know <laughs> w when that decision comes and say hey remember what you said um so keep that in mind but um but nonetheless whomever ends up being our our, our nominee particularly on, on the democratic side with with we're, we're all leaving um personally actually i would have preferred that he stuck around right because i because th <laughs> I, I think that it would be a lot more fun to beat an incumbent but um <laughs> that, that being said um 
we, we have to see, you know, it, it will be, there will be a crowded field on the Democrat side, but there, there probably will be a, Demo- um, a crowded field on the Republican side. And some of the names that had come up, you know, Renee Unterman, yep. uh, mm-hmm. David Clark, that did this interesting um, resolution about trying to oust Ralston, mm-hmm. um, he may or may not, he's, I think, salute, said that he wouldn't be. Um, David Schaefer was mentioned, but now he's running for Georgia GOP. So, We'll we'll have to see sort of where w- what sort of nominee they have, but I think generally it's um it's seventh the seventh congressional was targeted last year in terms of one of those seats that could be flipped. It should have been flipped. Um, and this election cycle is going to be a presidential election cycle, so I personally think it's going to be that a little bit harder to 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 flip. But it still is flippable, and it is it is important to show. You know, we've already seen now with the House actually flipping in last election cycle, the U.S. House, um, how we're starting to see different things move and show um, show up that we haven't, like the House resolution um, number House resolution one that was the Democracy Now Act, and so. Um, it's vital that we keep increasing um, those n- the, those numbers of, of the Democratic delegation I- in the House. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think that what happens and the people that you see um, that have announced already and the people that are announcing to run shows you, um, again, sort of what we were talking about earlier about Winnet County, but Winnet and Forsyth, particularly that south portion of Forsyth, um, ha- how much Georgia has changed. Right. And even if you look at who we have as legislators currently, um, our, our U.S. representatives, the folks that ran last year for the 7th and the folks that may run this year or are running this year in the 7th shows that Georgia has, in fact, already changed and that we're actually going to start sending to Congress a new type of um, elected official, um, new um, not o- in, in, a, in different diverse c- backgrounds, right? ethnic, racial, um, you know, we've had plenty of women now running for both with Lucy winning in the, in, in the sixth um, and several women running in the seventh last year and this year. So, you know, we now, you know, it's never a question anymore about can a woman run and, you know, what are they going to say, but that women are running. But you also see folks from diverse um, professional backgrounds and from diverse levels of of engagement within the organized um, Democratic Party. So um, I think that this is very indicative of who are our who are congressional district is. And I think two things to add real quick. Number one, I think that there is a very strong advantage. Uh, before I give that advantage, uh, anyone listening and, and hopefully win or if you make your decision, but uh, don't neglect Forsyth County. You That's know, right. Forsyth County has has rapidly changed. We're not folding. We're not Gwinnett. Uh, you know, but we have begun to do some amazing thing there, and there are some votes that I think will. I think we're going to surprise a lot of people on this side of the railroad tracks. But what I was going to say, which I think is is super important as it relates to this race, is for so long, uh, and I would have to push back on you as it relates to wishing Woodall was there, because see, Woodall and a lot of folks were able to duck. Even when I ran against Michael Williams, mm-hmm. they don't like to debate. Right. They don't want to be one on one with that stage. So now that this is an open race, I think after the primary, we're going to see a debate season where people are going to really want to engage. Now, I could be wrong, Eric, but one thing that I've noticed, at least on Republicans on this side of town, 
they don't like being held to task and being on stage having to answer questions and talk about their platform, their record, or their ideas. Uh, well, just just a, a side note here. I think you're kind of segueing into this. There's a town hall that's going to be in Forsyth um, on Thursday. That's right. And uh, interestingly enough, with this town hall, guess what? The questions you have to email to all the officials before, and they're going to filter through the questions <laughs> and decide what they want to answer, which means... No democratic zone. Right. No, <laughs> yep. And then nobody... Well, can... it is all, de- all Republican um, elected officials that will be present, yes. fr- from the list that I saw. Yes. But it's funny, though, because the filter... I mean, they're even filtering and censoring themselves. themselves. Because I remember fighting and, and working my ass off to debate... Uh, uh, Michael Williams and and we we you know with the exception of University of North Georgia having a debate on criminal justice reform or more of a conversation than debate, but I would hope that we push for a real serious conversation and I would encourage mm-hmm. uh, Republicans and Forsyth County and in Gwinnett to hold the people accountable that you want to be out there. I wish we saw more of these conversations, especially in a race as big as a congressional district race. So I know uh, Blue Topsy, Eric and I, we will be working really hard to make sure that that happens. But I do think that if someone like you were there, uh, you have a wealth of knowledge, a great background. I think we need someone that can hold their own. Because if you look at Renee Unterman, who you mentioned, whether she runs or not, she has a a background. She's uh, worked on some bipartisan bills. I have to give her credit on the human trafficking side. I know she worked with some Democrats to make sure that victims of human trafficking were not re-victimized. So I think that whoever the Democratic nominee is needs to know their stuff, needs to have a vision that's inclusive and not just, you know, I don't think we should ever run away from our progressive values, but I think we need to have a vision that is encompassing of the entirety. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it early about representing constituents and not just personal values. And I think that's going to be so critical because whoever comes out of our primary is going to have to know that there are a lot of people in our counties that don't think all the way like us, but will be willing to follow us and get behind us if we were to give the right vision. So I think that's important. And and what you mentioned, and that um, relates to what you mentioned about um, how we, and, 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 and for me, this personally, how I initially campaigned when I first ran and how I think that all candidates should run, there should not be a, you know, that group won't vote, for, doesn't vote, and or, or there's not Democrats there or not enough. Look, if there is someone that's willing to vote for you somewhere, I don't care if it's the one or two people, you go talk to that's them. Right. That's um, right. You have to have an expansive view about who the electorate is. And um, at the end of the day, you have to outreach to as many folks as possible mm-hmm. and um, – and at the end of the day, if, if they don't vote for you, well, they probably weren't going to vote for you either way, but you don't know unless you go talk to folks. That's right. And one of the things, yes, absolutely, that I, you know, I'm I'm very excited to see the different folks that won that last election cycle at the congressional level. But you're right. We have to be our district centric, right? Whatever right. that is. What works somewhere else, what works in California, what works in New York, you know, what works in 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 um in the fifth here in Georgia is not what happens in the seventh. Right. It's not who necessarily who we are. So we need to make sure that when we're running, we're running based on the needs of, of those that we're supposed to be representing. That's right. And I also uh you know well over a year before that even happens. We have a, a phenomenal gentleman named uh, Antonio Molina, who I, I don't want to leave out of the conversation. Uh, he's running to represent, uh, to be a representative in the city council in Snellville. 
issues that we've talked about earlier, like traffic improvement, which we know Gwinnett County needs, but education and career development. Uh, he talks about a Snellville where we can live, work, and play. I like Antonio Molina a lot, and, and I would hope that if our listening audience has a chance to look into this fine young gentleman that has been around for a long time, that has invested his time, his political ideas, and he is, in my opinion, a shining example of what happens when we look at building out a bench and we look at recruiting people. Uh, I know you told the story of Ben Koo uh, about how you know you went knocking on doors, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ben was inspired by that, and, and now we're seeing Antonio. So I'm excited because... Unlike a, le- a lot of other counties, Eric, we're seeing this new young right. wave of excited people. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had Bianca and and, and uh, we had our, our good friend um, uh, Melissa on mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. So this new talent that's coming up, can you say something really short uh, about Antonio? And we want to get ready to close out, but I think it's imperative for us to understand how important it is for us to not just recruit people like Antonio, but how important it is to get behind folks that are putting their names out there to run for office. Absolutely. Well, this is a special election that is actually election day is also March 19. Wow. Um, and early voting for, for his um, um, Snellville City Council race is also going on. So, But you can only vote in Snellville City Hall. So once you go out and vote for MARTA, you have to, in, in whatever precinct corresponds to that, then you have to go to Snellville City Hall if you live within his district and vote for him. So, you know, that's some of those dynamics that, um, that make it that much harder. So... It is important, I think, that we, you know, everything that you said in terms of building the um, bench and also the fact that he has already invested much of his time and money to um, to great causes to support um, Georgians, not just in Snellville, not just in Winnet County, but throughout the state. And um, so I can't say enough also how much, you know, I, I'm, I'm supportive of his run. And I will tell you something, especially, um, well, even now, the number one things that people have reached out to me about have been sidewalks, mm-hmm. streetlights, and public safety. Local issues. And you know who deals with those three things? City council. City mm-hmm. council. That's right. And I think it's important for us to understand the importance of local elections. I've said that before on the show. Sometimes we look at Stacey Abrams, Sarah Miko, uh, Lindy Miller, you know, people that run for office. Those are home runs. Those are statewide elections. Um, my baseball narrative is singles and doubles. Mm-hmm. These these city council races, county commissions, school board races, those are where you see the impact on the ground. The street lights, the sidewalks, the you know the 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 opportunity to address issues that young kids are dealing with on a daily basis. Our future. I think it's imperative for us to be able to focus on that. So Eric, where we are, man, we we we're, we're getting ready to wrap up, but. We've had a, a pretty good hour, man. What do you want to share with us before or with our guests before we get ready to wrap up? The last thing I want to say about the 7th Congressional District, for our audience, we have an audience that's not just in the U.S., around the world, amazingly. I don't know how we've pulled this off. but I meant something, <laughs> man. I, I, don't, I, I think they might think that Georgia is the other one somewhere in Europe, but Maybe I don't so. know. We're getting, we're getting that plug. We're coming up, man. But the 7th Congressional District, for people that, that aren't here, it has changed so rapidly that we're talking about this is a district that you basically had to beg somebody to run as a Democrat. Now we're talking about last time we had six people contesting on the Democratic side, and now we could be talking about more than six. I mean, that's a lot of progress. It shows how things are changing so rapidly. Absolutely. Well, I will tell you that the world lives in the 7th. 
It's, it's very diverse. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. So before we close, yes. though, right? Again, shout out to Tree Sound Studios. Um, and the funny thing is, you walk in and you see all these amazing people on the walls, yes. all these plaques. And I want to know what Brenda Lopez listens to. That's what I want to know. When you're riding, <laughs> when you're either stuck in traffic, which we all have been stuck in traffic, or when you're just, you know, letting time go by, what is Brenda Lopez's playlist? Well, um, primarily it's um, a lot of um, salsa merengue bachata. Okay. So I both like listening to it and also... Um, you know, I like going dancing. Sometimes when I used to be a fun person, I Can used you to... dance or do you just like to dance? <laughs> I, I like to dance. And, <laughs> and I need to have a good dance partner that makes me look like I know what I'm doing. So, um, but, but a lot of fun. It's a lot of great exercise. So that's usually what I enjoy. But funny enough, the, uh, the song that I always uh, listen to when I start a legislative session, when I'm driving down, I just put it on there a it replay. Goes. Is every day I'm hustling. Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> See, you got to uh, pull it out, man. I mean... <laughs> You know, right, right, right now in in my playlist, I've actually got the old Fujis in there, man. I mean, I'm just kind of going back and listening. But I think it's important for people to know that outside <laughs> of legislation, outside of the work, that you're a real person and that you you have fun. You like to dance. We got a chance to meet your mom and your family. Phenomenal food, by the way, Eric. I'm still thinking Wait, about what was prepared. I said that. Can we bring Brenda's mom home and like? Can she be a? We should have brought her to the studio today, man. <laughs> we could have had the studio. We could have had lunch, but no. Brenda Lopez, we love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for being a guest on our show, for always being available and accessible, and uh, we thank you for being a part of Blue Topsy family, Eric Cohen. And we hope that you'll come back and tolerate us again. Anytime that you'll have me and anytime that anyone's going to go out dancing, please let me know. (laughs) That's what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you. Blue Topsy, we are evolving. We're growing. We are expanding. But we can always use creative criticism. Mm -hmm. We can always use your questions, uh, any ideas about guests, show topics, anything you want. Eric Cohen, how do they get in touch with us? At Blue Topsy on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can email us. Email us at bluetopsy at gmail.com. So give us feedback. The particular guests you want to have. Subscribe. Uh, subscribe. So don't just listen to us. Go to your iTunes, subscribe, and then when you can rate us, and you go, look, there's five stars. You got yeah, five stars for those guys. There you go. Yeah. And Brenda, how do people get in touch with you? How do they follow you? How do they keep up with you as a person? Well, on uh, social media, I'm also on Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can look for me as uh, Vote Brenda Lopez, and um, we're really active there with a lot of calls to action, and I can get messages there. And you're welcome to email me, too, at um, Brenda at VoteBrendaLopez.com. Um, I'm more than happy to try to answer any questions as best as I can. Brenda, you have a great newsletter, too. So people need to sign up for your newsletter. And like Brenda's newsletter each week, Breaks down bills and stuff that are out there. It's very informative. Yes, and that's at brendalopez.com. You can sign up to the newsletter there as well. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of work coming up. We will follow up with this martyr vote, uh, with the results from Antonio's race, Mm -hmm. with all the news coming up in the coming weeks. We have a lot of really great, inspiring guests coming up. Who's next week? Who's next week? You tell me. You tell the listening audience. Who do we have next week? Uh, Michael Owens is next week. Michael Owens. And we mentioned Michael, Cobb County. 
and uh, we'd love to hear what he's done. I think for our friends all over the state to hear what Cobb County has been able to do in the last few election cycles yeah. since 2016 um, and even now I think has been phenomenal mm -hmm. and is literally a blueprint for how we can move yeah. forward. And we've got a couple of surprise guests that we can't announce mm -hmm. right now, but some really amazing people coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we wouldn't be here without you, without your inspira inspiration, without your listenership, and without all the support that you've given us. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I'm Daniel Blackman. I'm Eric Cohen. This is Blue Topsy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.